You're listening to Behind the Red Shield, a podcast produced by the Salvation Army of Memphis and the Mid-South. I'm your host, Camille Connor. The purpose of this podcast is to go behind the scenes and hear from the people doing the daily work to achieve the Salvation Army's mission, which is to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. In this episode, I talk with Memphis Area Commander Major Mark Hunter about his journey from Salvation Army church member to Salvation Army officer, and he shares the importance of the Salvation Army's annual Red Kettle Campaign. The fundraiser has become a holiday staple that serves families in need all year round. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Behind the Red Shield podcast. I'm joined today by Memphis Area Commander Major Mark Hunter. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited to talk to you. I have already talked to your wife, Major Lori Hunter. We had a great discussion. Um, We talked a little bit about you guys' background and a lot about Angel Tree and some of the services we provide. So I'm, I'm glad to get to talk to the other half of you guys. And so I, you know, the purpose of this podcast is not just to highlight what the Salvation Army of Memphis does or what the Salvation Army does, but to also dive deeper into the people who make our services and our mission happen. So I want to rewind a little bit and I got a little bit of the background, but for people who may be listening for the first time, can you tell us, you know, how you got involved in the Salvation Army? What was that moment that first brought you into the fold and you became a soldier? Sure. That's a good story because I came up in a church family, a Pentecostal family. My mother and grandmother were were religious folks and very dedicated to their churches. So I did know a lot about the Bible and about uh, spiritual matters uh, and continued to go to church until I was probably a teenager and kind of like most teenagers, I wandered away and decided to go explore and see what the world had to offer. And then I met Lori and uh, Lori and I uh, got married and started to have a family. And Lori's only experience with church was through the Salvation Army. She lived in a, in a community where the Salvation Army van would come by and pick up the young people, take them down to the local Salvation Army for what we call character building, uh, which is like sunbeams and girl guards, but they're more like Girl Scouts and uh, Boy Scouts and those kind of things. They teach young people morals and ethics and crafts on how to build fires and be responsible, those kind of things. So that was Lori's experience. I had no experience of the Salvation Army except for, like most, they would stand outside the local uh, retail store, which was for us in our community was Roses. Roses was the big store. And so we would go to Roses and there'd be somebody standing out there in this funny looking uniform and ringing a bell and they'd have this big old pot and people were throwing their, their change and their dollars in there. And I would also see their family store riding around picking up donations. And that's really the only recollection or, or any thought of what the Salvation Army was, was that. Well, Lori decided to take our firstborn back to those character building classes because it was so important to her. She wanted our, our firstborn, which was a do- our daughter, uh, wanted her to have that same experience. And so she started going back and it wasn't too long to where I got an invitation to come to the Salvation Army and I'm a little bit hesitant to go to the Salvation Army. I was like, hey, I'm not sure about this being a church. Oh my first time I went you know I was kind of set off by the uniforms and you know these kind of people felt odd at first but they loved me like nobody else had loved me they accepted me they was just this presence of there was no judgment you know they didn't they didn't care about my past they didn't care about anything other than me being present 
and they just started to talk to me and get to know me and they started to explain some of the oddities about uniforms and rank and flags and all these things and I started to fall in love with the Salvation Army and one of the things that really drew me to the Salvation Army was all the avenues for ministry. I got involved with prison ministry. We were going out to the local prison a couple times a month and we were spending time with the, the inmates and we would do a service and then we would help them at Christmas. I got involved in, we had Boys and Girls Club, a partnership with the Boys and Girls Club of America and the Salvation Army, which is a unique partnership. We bring all the assets from the Boys and Girls Club of America and we put the religious aspect to it and that becomes the Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club. I started teaching basketball and t-ball and just got involved there and we continued to be uh, very uh, attentive to meetings at the Salvation Army what we call core but it would be a church uh, we were we were showing up for Sunday school and youth activities and adult programs before long I started teaching a Sunday school class I started becoming more of a volunteer and again it's just so engaging uh, you just want to do more in the Salvation Army, they have a, a term. You'll notice uh, if you see our uniforms, they have S's on them. Uh, and a lot of times, we will refer to those that those S's stand for that we are saved to serve. Well, my impression is that's reversed. We serve because we're saved. A lot of the things that we do in the Salvation Army world, it's not because uh, we get paid a lot, but it's because it's so our, our, our job is so fulfilling. We're able to pour into people's lives, people that have broken lives. Maybe it's in a disaster situation. They've been impacted by a hurricane. We're able to go in and help them evaluate what's going on, catch their breath, uh, give them some emotional, spiritual care, pray for them, get them connected to some services. Maybe it's they don't have any clothes, so we help them get clothes and some food and things. We start to help them put their lives back together by being reestablished. Uh, things like that is just so important through the Salvation Army, and it gives us pride that we do that. That's why we serve. That's why we go above and beyond most organizations, because we know the grace and the mercy that's been extended to us, and so we just want other people to have that same compassion, that same mercy, and that same grace. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, you know, I also want to ask, you said you guys were teaching Bible study. So tell me how you went from being an involved soldier, involved church member to becoming an officer. And then um, what are some of the places where you were able to serve as an officer? Sure. So that uh, that was a long process for Lori and I. You know, we knew that we wanted to make sure that it was truly a calling. And we really felt that, you know, the Lord had called us to be supporters of the local Salvation Army. We tithe, we supported their programs, we volunteered. We would help the local Salvation Army uh, any way that we could. Uh, people started telling us, and I guess people saw it before we saw it, but people were saying, you know, God's calling you to, to something higher. And I can tell you as a young man, when I was going to other churches, a couple times it was prophesied over me that God was going to use me in a mighty way. But to a young man, that scares you to think, oh man, I'm going to be representing God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So sometimes that can be intimidating. But even now when I look back and I see that other people could see then that, that God had a hand in my life and he was going to use me, other people saw that in me and Lori as a couple and they would say, God's calling you to officership. And we're like, no, no, we, we think you're, you're confused about that. Uh, God's not told us he's calling us yet. And even our daughter, we'd sit around the dinner table and our daughter would say, I don't know why are y'all running, but you know, you know God's calling you to be an officer. Uh, 
Lori and I went through a, a devotional book. A lot of people are familiar with it, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And we did that as our devotional. And we kind of got to the end of it and we kind of looked at each other and we said, you know, maybe God is calling us. We were still hesitant to make that public. We didn't want to talk about that in front of too many people because we, we didn't want to be rushed into it. The other thing that kind of uh, prompted me to say yes to officership was one day, one Sunday morning, I was sitting in the congregation and the, the current core officer uh, was preaching and doing things. And in my mind, how you rationalize and analyze and critique things, I was saying, well, if I was the core officer, I'd do this. Or if I was the core officer, I'd done it this way. And so I was going through that in my mind and I heard God's voice as, as clear as I hear any voice. God said, okay, well, if you think you can be a better core officer, then why don't you become a core officer? And at that point, I stopped running and I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to be a core officer, then we'll start looking at it. So we, we told the, the leaders that uh, we were interested in officership. And so they start the process. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to do. There's a lot of forms and tests that you have to take. You have to make sure that you got the right aptitude. And, you know, if you don't, then there's schooling and tutoring and things like that. Well, it came to be that we passed all those tests. Well, we were established. I mean, Lori had a job. I had a job. I had a good career in manufacturing and engineering. I was very successful. I was being promoted. Uh, was doing really well with the company, and the company had plans for me. And so it really wasn't that I was looking for anything. Uh, it was that it kind of found me. Uh, so we had a lot of things that we had to take care of. We'd, we'd just bought a house. We'd been in that house for less than five years. We had vehicles. So we had accumulated some debt. Uh, that was not going to be able to be resolved very easily. Well, the Salvation Army holds what they call a 730 weekend or the Fellowship of Future Officers is what it was called whenever we went. And they invite you to the training school, which is located in Atlanta, Georgia, on Metropolitan Parkway. They invite you there for a weekend to kind of tour the school and to kind of see what it's like to be in seminary. And so we went for that weekend. And, and uh, the candidate secretary that was appointed to, to Lori and I to kind of handle our application, she comes up to us uh, on the second night and said, you know, we, we feel like you guys could uh, come in earlier because we were waiting for our oldest daughter, our firstborn, who, would, who was a junior. Uh, so she had one more year of high school, been in the same school system her entire life. So we were kind of waiting until she graduated before we went into seminary. Uh, so we started laying out all these conditions. Well, we were planning on going in in 2006. Well, they were asking us to come in in 2005. And, and I was telling, telling the candidate secretary, well, you know, we got to sell our house. We really haven't built up any equity in it. We both just got new cars. So I don't know that we could get rid of those and, and, and not accumulate more debt. And so I listed a number of things, probably 10 or 12 things were on that list. It had to happen. Uh, and our, our daughter graduating was one of them. We get back to the hotel that night and uh, no prompting whatsoever. We hadn't had any conversation with anybody else other than me and Lori and, and uh, the candidate secretary about the conversation we had. Well, our daughter calls uh, to kind of check in to see how things are going. And she tells us, she says, Mom, Dad, I've been thinking about uh, you going in to become officers. And if, if anything's standing in your way, such as me graduating, don't let that hold you back. If God's calling you to become officers, I'll do my senior year in Atlanta. And it's like, okay, God's starting to check off that box. So we're like, okay, well, that's one thing. Uh, we still have these other things. Well, things started to fall in place. Our house, we never even listed our house with a realtor. I stuck a sign in the front yard that said for sale. 
Well, I had done some renovations to the house. I'd converted the attic to living space. And so that increased the value of the house. So when we got ready to sell it, it was worth more. Well, it just so happened that uh, we only had one person to call and say they were interested in our house. Uh, she came, uh, her realtor came and looked through the house and then brought her back. And then we were desperate. So we were willing to even come down on our asking price. And her realtor tells us, no, no, you're not going to come down on your price. The lady that I represent has cash money. She has plenty of money. So no, no, you're going to get your asking price. We ended up walking away. We sold our house and walked away with money in our pockets. And we thought we were going to have to pay more uh, that, because we didn't think it had enough equity. Took my, my truck I just bought. It about six, seven, eight uh, months old. Uh, took it back to the dealer that I bought it. And explained the situation to him that we were thinking about going into seminary, that we're going to be working for the salvation army. He ended up paying off the loan on my truck and giving me $500 cash. So things like that just started to fall into place. And so Lori and I immediately knew, well, God's wanting us to go in in 2005. So he's, he's taking care of all these check boxes in this list. So we went into training in 2005 and we were commissioned in 2007 as a captain. So we were the last session to be commissioned as captains. Normally you're commissioned as a lieutenant. You serve for five years, then you become a captain, and then after 15 years, a major. Well, we, we were never lieutenants. We were commissioned captains, and we were captains for 15 years, and now we're majors. Uh, so that's kind of how that works. Our first appointment was in Irmo, South Carolina, uh, just a little north, uh, I guess, northeast of Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, we went there and served for six months. Short appointment, but it, man, it was a blessing. It was just a little small building. It was 30 feet wide and 90 feet long, but we had over a hundred people showing up for attendance in, in Sunday services. We had 60, 70 kids showing up for youth activities. I mean, we were just turning that building every which way to be able to do programming out of it, but God was just doing amazing things. We got to bless a lot of young people and a lot of people got to bless us while we were there. Well, an officer got sick in Smithfield, North Carolina, so they needed to do some moves. So they, they moved me and Lori from Irmo, South Carolina to Smithfield, North Carolina. Didn't even know that Smithfield, North Carolina existed. Uh, so we show up, uh, you know, six months into our officership, and now we've inherited a command that had a little trouble because the officers were sick, but man, it was just the greatest community wonderful advisory board that came alongside of us we had two thrift stores we had a core uh, and it was just really good and so we were there for two and a half years and then we went an hour north to rocky mount north carolina we spent two years in rocky mount north carolina again we had family stores and a nice core congregation uh, and then we were sent to uh, greenville south carolina as the senior croc officers of one of the elite community centers called the crocs uh, we were there for a year, got to experience that wonderful community in Greenville, South Carolina, left Greenville, South Carolina, and went to Gastonia, North Carolina, which is our home. And it's rare for, an, for a Salvation Army officer to go back to their home core. We were sent back our longest appointment, four years, in Gastonia, North Carolina. And I tell you, that was truly a blessing. At first, we thought it was kind of like God punishing us. That <laughs> he was sending us back to our home core. Oh, no, what have we done? You know, we've done something wrong. But while we were there, God did so many amazing things. Our oldest daughter had uh, become a Salvation Army officer, and uh, she was about five or six years into her officership, and then she ran into marital problems, and so she had to step out of the Salvation Army. 
Well, we were in her home community, so we were able to, to be there for her to come back home and be able to get reestablished, to help her get an apartment, to help her get a car, to, to just get her back on her feet. Uh, had we not went back to Gastonia, that would have been difficult for us to do. Lori's mom, uh, about two years into our appointment, had a stroke. And, and Lori was able to be there during that time that her mom had the stroke and then there for two years to be with her mom as her mom started to, to recover. Some of the officers that had invested in us before we went into training, well, they had retired back there and, and some of them were not doing very well. Uh, one of them passed away while we were there, so we were able to be there with the family and to help them walk through the grieving process of, of losing such a patriarch in the Salvation Army world and in their family. One of the, the officers that we had while we attended the, the Gastonia Corps was there for seven years. Uh, Major Jerry Lyle was one of the reasons. He was one of those leaders that poured into us and invested in us and encouraged us to, to be all that God wanted us to be. Mm -hmm. Well, he had, he, gotten, he had gotten sick and had to take an early retirement and decided to retire back to Gastonia. And we were able to be there for Jerry and his family. You know, it's hard to walk away from your post early. It's hard to walk away whenever you retire, but especially whenever it's not quite your time. We were able to be there for Jerry, for him to, we still allowed him to preach. He, he loved to preach. He loved to be involved in programs. And so because uh, he was able to be there and we had such a good relationship, we could allow him to still have a ministry, even though he had to take sick leave. Uh, we got to be with Jerry until we moved, and shortly after we left, Jerry passed away, and so that was uh, that was hard. But again, just so many things that we were able to go back and be a part of, and you know, those people that invested in us, now we were able to invest in them. They were our pastors, and then now we're their pastors, and and so even though it was awkward in those first years, it was truly a blessing. Now that we look and see how God played in those roles and experiences and relationships so we're very blessed mm -hmm. so then we moved from gastonia north carolina they uh they call us and appoint us to divisional headquarters in alabama louisiana uh, which is home based in in jackson mississippi um, i'm to be a finance trainee i'm going to learn to be a finance officer in the salvation army Lori is going to be an assistant program secretary and she has her roles over things like the va and other programs in the salvation army world so we're there for a year, supposed to be there for a year, and, and then we're going to be sent off to another divisional headquarters to where we'll assume other responsibilities. Well, the first year comes and, and goes, and toward the end of that first year, we find out, well, you're going to stay another year. And it's like, again, you say, what, what's going on here? Did we do something wrong? Did we not learn what we need to? And it was like, uh, we can't talk about it right now, but you'll soon find out. So in our, about the mid of our second year, the divisional commander comes up to us and lets us know that the reason they held us over was uh, they were going to be moving us into being the divisional secretary for business, and they were going to promote Lori to program secretary over more responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, there's God at work, didn't realize it. So even though we were there for four years, we held two different appointments while we were there. And so that was great. So then we leave uh, after four years in Jackson, Mississippi, and we come here to beautiful, wonderful Memphis, Tennessee, where we're happy to be here. We're learning and getting to know some wonderful people.
We'd like to take a moment to let our listeners know about this year's Angel Tree program in Memphis. This year, we have over 4,800 angels in our community looking to be adopted. And with your help, we can make sure each one of them wakes up to gifts on Christmas morning. Head to angeltreememphis.org. There, you'll be able to choose a child or a senior to adopt. The deadline to send in new unwrapped gifts is December 9th. Thanks to you, they'll be able to experience the magic of Christmas. Let's get back to the episode. I want to talk about what we have been able to accomplish, whether it be the ministry side or the social services side. What are some things we've been able to accomplish over the last year or so? So as you can imagine, with COVID, COVID brought in a, a very di- different atmosphere and a very different environment. And so we, we stutter-stepped a little bit to figure out what does that look like? How do we do ministry now that we can't have contact with people? So we tried virtual uh, virtual sermons and different things, and, and that works to a degree, but it takes relationships. It takes being face-to-face. It takes being uh, with people and walking alongside of them, living life with them to really be able to do ministry well. Even even impacted our social service side. Uh, now we had to cut our capacities in half. Uh, we couldn't have as many people in our rooms, and we had to force them to wear a mask and all these other things that we had to do, and it just made it more difficult. Uh, so that was kind of hard. So we've been coming out of that. So we've, we've kind of shelved some of those protocols. We, we're starting to increase our population in our sheltering programs. Our membership at the Croc Center is starting to come back. They're starting to get more engaged in group activities like Zumba and those types of things. Uh, recreation, soccer, all those things are starting to pick up. Uh, youth programs. Oh, been at Vacation Bible School this week. Getting to see those young people come and be a part of something like Vacation Bible School instead of being stuck at home in front of a TV or a computer or a tablet or something like that building those relationships getting to know people so that's what we've been doing the the last few months is reconnecting with people our church attendance on Sundays have continued to grow uh, and we're glad to see new people coming in to to see about their curiosity whether it be about the Salvation Army or whether they're starting to explore their their spiritual relationship or their spiritual journey we're helping them explore that and to figure out what that looks like Uh, so that's exciting Uh, and to be able to do that and know that we're really caring for the whole individual. You know, we're physical, you know, we're emotional, and we're spiritual. And to be able to look at all that at one time uh, is really what the Salvation Army does and does well, that we're able to speak into all those aspects of a person. Yeah, and I mean, as you said, the last couple of years, you know, coming out of the pandemic hasn't been the easiest um, journey. And also just as an area commander, you're overseeing everything, whether that's budget or employees or or buildings or all of those things. So I want to know, you know, what keeps you, to, to pull from a slogan we used a couple years ago, what keeps you marching on? What keeps you inspired? Well, first of all, I know that I'm not marching alone. You know, uh, some of those some of those times, those depression times that, that people slip into is that they feel like they're alone. They feel like they're isolated. Well, well I've never felt that way, even though during the pandemic that I had to distance and, and do things virtual. I never felt like I was marching alone. I might have been marching on a different path or whatever, but I was never alone. Uh, whether it be other Salvation Army officers marching along with me, whether, whether it be soldiers or whether it be the community. I mean, advisory board, employees. You know, there's a number of 
things that make up the Salvation Army. It's just not the officer. It's not just the building. It's a lot of different things like volunteers. And we had to depend on local donors and corporations and foundations and, and things like that to help fund our operation. Uh, so sometimes we're limited that way, but we do pour into our employees differently. We, we let them know that they, they matter, that they have a purpose, that they add value to the Salvation Army and its organization. Uh, our advisory board, they're volunteer, but yet they give us direction. They, they make connections. They help us pay attention to the important things in this community. I just talked about the number of commands that I've cycled through. Well, you can imagine every time the leadership changes, that disrupts plans and strategic plans and, and things like that. Well, the, the advisory board is able to bring continuity to the Salvation Army during those transitional periods uh, so that those plans continue to be carried out no matter who's sitting in the leader's seat. There's just a number of things that just keep me marching on. The thing that puts the most wind in my sails is whenever I see an individual or a family transformed. When you see somebody coming to you just totally hopeless and broken, you know, they're, they're just so fragile. But it's like a flower. Whenever you, you start to see that flower opening up and you start to see the beauty, well, when those lives start to transform and you see God starting to heal those scars and those wounds and they start to build confidence in themselves and they start to realize tomorrow can be better than today. Oh, to see them bloom into something beautiful. That's what really keeps me marching on. Amen. And, you know, you've mentioned uh, volunteers and our board. We have such an incredible, supportive community. And Christmas time is a period of time where we really lean on those uh, support systems. Can you talk about how important the Red Kettle season and, and this fundraiser is for the Salvation Army of Memphis? Well, in normal times, I'll, I'll start there because then I want to kind of transition over just a little bit. But in normal times, uh, the Salvation Army Red Kettle campaign makes up about 25 to 35% of our operating uh, income. So without that Red Kettle, we would not be able to do as much good as we do. Some of that is used during Christmas. So we do use some to, to help people with Christmas gifts, Christmas food and meals, uh, and those types of things. But whatever's not spent at Christmas is spread out throughout the whole entire year, and it helps us operate. And again, when we raise that money, it stays local. We are able to help people, whether it's providing shelters, whether it's providing scholarships or transportation or childcare, rental assistance, helping with power bills, providing clothes, food. I mean, that money really goes a long way. And it's often said, not by us in the Salvation Army, but by our donors, by those that sit on our advisory board. They say that the Salvation Army, no organization stretches a dollar the way the Salvation Army does. That we do the most good with our physical responsibilities. That we're able to do more with one dollar than most organizations are. And that's why it's so important uh, to support the Salvation Army. Now, we're the most visible. A lot of people think that we only work, you know, November and December. But I tell you that there's things going on around the year, around the world. It's often said in the Salvation Army that the sun never sets on the Salvation Army flag because we're in 130 plus countries. Uh, so even though we're focused on Memphis, we also play a larger part that we are a part of a big army, uh, a global army. Again, going back to that red kettle to know that, well, I only have 50 cents or I only have a dollar. 
don't ever dismiss that it's only 50 cents. Mm -hmm. A lot of 50 cents make a thousand dollars. So put that 50 cent in the kettle and know that whatever you do, you're not investing in the Salvation Army. You're investing in transformation of lives, broken lives. You're helping people get back on their feet who's been knocked down by a pandemic, the loss of a loved one, an illness, a divorce, or domestic violence, or a number of other situations that come up in people's lives. Some people just didn't ask for a catastrophe. They didn't ask for a hurricane to come along and sweep away their house. They didn't ask for a tornado to wipe away everything they own or a flood to just sweep away everything that they'd ever had in their entire life. No, sometimes, sometimes people just get impacted. The Bible says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not always God punishing us. It's not that way. But our tough situations make us stronger. It makes us more dependent. And, and hopefully it draws us closer to God the Creator. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned, you know, this Red Kettle campaign. It's not just for serving people during the holiday season, during Christmas, but all year around. And so that leads me to the, my last question as we near the end of our time. You know, what is your hope for the Salvation Army of Memphis in 2023 so i tell you it's uh it's kind of uh it's kind of interesting whenever you look across the horizon sitting in my seat and i'm thinking you know the cost of living has gone up uh, you can't go to the grocery store without seeing an extra 25 or 50 dollars added to your food bill and you're getting less but you're paying more you go to the gas pump or you pay your utilities everywhere you turn you're seeing increased cost of living and even with operations like the Salvation Army, we're having to pay more for waste collection. We're having to pay more for utilities. We're having to pay more on all the fronts, just like the individual families are. So my concern going into this Christmas is uh, two things. Is one, that there may be less people that have the, the ability to give. So it's going to be more important for those that have the capacity to please, please give to the Salvation Army because we're really leaning on you this year because we know that more families are going to slip under that poverty rate. There's those that sit on the border all the time of just being above the poverty level, but there's gonna, there, there's gonna be a wave, there's gonna be a vacuum that's gonna pull some of those families into this poverty level. And there's, there's gonna be more people coming to the Salvation Army looking for shelter or looking for assistance, whether it's financial or emotionally or physical. Uh, and we wanna be prepared. We, we don't want to turn anyone away. And the only thing that stops our services is our resources. Uh, we, we can't spend what we don't have uh, and we can't extend or live beyond our means. So we depend upon the generosity and the compassion of our neighbors, of our friends, our stakeholders, our supporters right here in Memphis. So I just encourage those that, that may have passed the red kettle in the past, don't pass it this Christmas season, please. There are, there are children, there are young people, there are elderly people, there are the average American who now is struggling, working two jobs and having to decide whether they buy medicine or buy groceries. Please, if it's just a handful of change, throw it into the, throw it into the Salvation Army Red Kettle. And I promise you, God will bless it and you will be blessing the lives of others. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and sitting down and chatting with me some more outside of the hallway in your office. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the Behind the Red Shield podcast.
That wraps up this week's episode of Behind the Red Shield. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Memphis and the Mid-South, you can head to our website at SalvationArmyMemphis.org. There, you'll also find ways to get involved. We have several volunteer opportunities this holiday season, and you can sign up to be an Angel Tree volunteer or a bell ringer for our Red Kettle campaign. All the info is on our volunteer page. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Salvation Army Memphis. Don't forget to join us next week for a brand new episode. You can find it by subscribing to our Salvation Army Memphis YouTube page or subscribing to Behind the Red Shield on iTunes Podcast or Spotify. Thanks for listening.